Well, good morning. And uh, God's blessings to you. You know, we were going through the book of Genesis, and we traveled through 30-plus chapters, and uh, some great stuff to glean out of there. I just felt like, you know, let's, let's look at some church stuff, uh, some New Testament stuff. We jumped into Thessalonians. Um, but I think Genesis is so rich. And we're really in a transition of where we left off, where we're leaving the, 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 the focal point from this Jacob. And it's going to move on to what I see is probably one of the most godliest men in the Bible, a man by the name of Joseph. And um, so we're going to pick up today, and we're going to be looking at really one of the last chapters that primary. We'll see Jacob throughout the rest of the chapter, but the primary focus I feel like we really need to take a look at this chapter because I think it's very applicable to each one of us. And, and if you don't read the Bible with a heart of application, then, and, then you're missing out on a lot of it. Obviously, we read it to encounter Jesus, but we want this to have its way with each one of us. And I think there are some great things that we can see, great things that we can glean from this final focal point in the life of Jacob. So if you will... Back to Genesis 35. Father, your name is majestic. That's what we sung this morning. And I pray it was more than words on our lips, but truths that have really penetrated our hearts. What an honor it is to sit before the King of Kings today and hear his word. Father, may our hearts be receptive. May our hearts be writable today. May you be able to speak these things into our life so that they might have impact. May we, like the church that we just looked at the last couple months, may we receive these truths today, not as they were the word of men, but what they truly are, the word of God that works in us. We want your word to work in us, Lord. So as we look at Genesis 35, allow it to have its way with each one of us. Lord, you deserve right now at this moment craziness of life. What we're facing individually, congregationally, what we're facing right now. We want to have our heart focused on you. So us being the weak, distracted sheep and you being the good shepherd, we ask you to get our eyes and to set our eyes and to focus our eyes on you as we see you through your word today. For your honor and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I told you Genesis 35, that's where we're going to be. Um, we're we're looking at this individual, Jacob. Uh, remember Jacob in the Bible? He was a twin. There was a war <laughs> inside of the womb of their mother, uh, Rebecca. And these were two nations that were at war. And, and she was told that the younger Jacob would serve the older, or that the older would serve the younger, Jacob being the younger, Esau being the older. He comes out, he's got a hold of his brother's heel. It's a picture of who he would be. He'd be a heel catcher, unfortunately a deceiver. Uh, Part of his fallen nature that we would see manifest itself throughout his life. He stole his brother's birthright. He tricked his dad into pronouncing a blessing upon him. It was something that he entered into with his mother, tricking Isaac. He's already been told at this point to arise and get out of the land where he was and get to the land of his family. And instead, Jacob settled for living in Shechem. And 
unfortunately, when God tells you something and you choose to do something different and lean on your own understanding instead of trusting God with all of your heart is what can happen is we can bring a lot of harm into our lives. We didn't see what God saw. So because he didn't respond at first to, to what was going to happen, he settled down in, in, in Shechem. His one and only daughter, Dinah, got raped by the prince of the land. His brothers, to retaliate, he came, they came in and they set up a scheme and they tricked all the people of that city. And then they went in uh, and, and slaughtered everyone and took their possessions. Their kids, their wives, they took them captive. The fear of the people of the land now had Jacob's heart that, that his family was going to be slaughtered in retaliation from the other city, so he's living in fear. A lot of things had been taking place in his life there just because he wasn't committed fully to what God was speaking into his life. If you could hashtag his life at this point, it would be living a disaster. Chapter 34, there was no mention of God in this chapter with the words and the names and God himself. He's mentioned about 22 times. And I think when we look at this, I think we need to remember is that we need to obey at all costs or there will be a cost. Obey at all costs or there will be a cost. God sees what's ahead and we don't. It's amazing. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, we got, you know, aren't you so glad when you travel you don't have those maps you got to fold out and just go haywire on somebody with as they're trying to point out a little line as you're driving down the road 65 miles an hour? But we got these awesome things called GPS maps, maps.com, Google Maps. I think sometimes, where would I be without Google Maps? Well, here's the thing, right? So we got this GPS, we got this Google Maps, and, and maps will navigate you around accidents, jams that lay ahead, and they'll direct you on what's best for your journey until you get to your destination. But you have to trust the app. You have to trust the app that can see what's 5, 10, 50, 100 miles down the road. And you know what we do? We trust the app. How much more should we trust the God who created us, whose image we bear, and who sent his son to die on our behalf? That when God tells us something, it's for our blessing. And when we go against it, we're forfeiting our blessing. When we're going against it, we choose to walk in a blindness of something that we do not see, but God in his faithfulness to us, he's the one that can see. And that's why he's telling us to do it his way. I'll tell you what right now, if you can trust your Google Maps, you certainly should be able to trust the creator of the universe, the lover of your soul. And when you look at that, and how does that apply to me right now? Well, if there's anything in my life that is out of sync with the Word of God, I need to fix that, and I need to get my life back into sync with the Word of God because there's trouble ahead. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't matter. There's trouble ahead. I can promise you this. Going against the Word of God is a forecast of trouble ahead. Jacob experienced it in a whole chapter of 34. But then all of a sudden, you know what happens here? We're getting into verse, we're getting into chapter 30, 35, and we get to verse 1, 
And God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when you fled from Esau, your brother. What we're going to see here with Jacob, this is a chapter of pain. None of us are exempt to it. You need to remember in the Bible that the Bible declares, Jacob have I loved. God loved him so much that he realized that Jacob had put him on the peripheral of his life. And as Christians, we can so, be so guilty of that. We, got, Jesus, we lose Jesus front and center. Looking at Jesus, the author, we lose that. We get him to the peripheral. And he's trying to get... He's trying to get himself back where he needs to be in Jacob's life because he knows Jacob needs him. That's the faithfulness of God. This is a chapter of pain. He's going to lose his nanny, he's going to lose his wife, and he's going to lose his father by the time this chapter's over. And God so wanted Jacob to know that he's near and he's dear to him, that he didn't have to travel that painful road alone. This is a chapter of loss. And God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel. You didn't listen the first time, Jacob. I'm telling you again. And I'll tell you something about God. He's so faithful. He pursues us. You know what we are? We're wayward sheep. Peter tells us that. We sing that hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But you know what wayward ha sheep have that... Uh, other people don't have a good shepherd. One of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible, I believe, is Luke chapter 15 because it's all about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son and God in pursuit of the wayward and the lost. Throughout the Bible, we're told, Joel, Hosea, Zechariah, Nehemiah, Job, Jeremiah, return unto me. God's always calling his people to return unto me. James tells us, draw nigh unto God, he'll draw nigh unto you. Why do you got to draw nigh? Because you're farther away than you ought to be. But the question for us, like we see here in the life of Jacob, is the first question that's asked in the Bible. Man, where are you? Where art thou? It comes to us being honest with ourselves about where I'm at in this love covenant relationship that I've been given with Jesus Christ today. Where am I? Where am, where's he in it all? Well, I'm at church today. Great. But church is a great place to hide because it gives the appearance that you're not hiding. Make an altar. Jacob, I'm calling you to be a worshiper again. I want you to come back to that place in our personal relationship that we once had chapters earlier in your life where you worship me in spirit and truth. Where things before us at Bethel there were very transparent. Bethel literally means the house of God. When I appeared unto thee, when you fled from the face of Esau, thy brother, remember how faithful I was to you then? I'm the same faithful God to you today. 
Jacob actually vowed a vow at that time. He says, if God be with me and will keep me this way that I go and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. God's calling him out on that vow that he made. And he sends him back to Bethel. Bethel literally means the house of God, but, but it's more than that. It was his first encounter with the living God. first time that he encountered the living God. It was part of his raising, but this was really his first encounter. And and it doesn't speak so much about location, though God wants him to go back there, but it speaks of condition. It speaks of the heart climate. If you will for it with me, go to Revelation chapter 2 for just a moment. Unfortunately, one of the things that God's so used to in in the lives of his people is he loses his rightful position. And instead of bringing judgment, he brings a message, you've strayed from me. And you're forfeiting all the blessings and the richness and the prospering that I want to do in your life. And you need to be back where I used to be in your life. we got to get things going again, where they once were. God wrote this to a church, but, but before I read that in Revelation, I, I want to read to you what he says in the book of Jeremiah. Now, now think about this. God calls him to proclaim to Jerusalem. He says, I, this is God speaking, I remember the devotion of your youth when our relationship was fresh and new and young. Your love is a bride. You followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. You were holy to the Lord. You were the first fruits of harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear ye the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of Israel. Thus saith the long. This is what God's saying to them. What wrong did your fathers find in me that you went far from me? And one after worthlessness and became worthless. They didn't say, where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness and the lands of deserts and pits and the lands of drought and deep darkness and a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits, its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and my heritage and abomination. And the priest no longer said, where's the Lord? Those who handled the law, they didn't know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, the false gods of the land. And they went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. From coast to coast of Cyprus and sea, or send a Kedar and examine with care. See if there be such a thing as this. Has a nation changed its God, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me. 
fountain of living waters. And they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken waters, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Of all that God had done for them, all of his faithfulness, he, they repaid him by turning their back on him. Now, if you're in Revelation chapter 2, this is a church, this is written to the apostolic church right after um, <coughs> the book of Acts. And, and look what he says to them here. The church of Ephesus, verse 2, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how you cannot bear them which are evil, and you've tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and you found them liars. You got great apologetics. But their labor is, you know what we're going to see here? Labor is no replacement for love. You've born, you've had patience. For my name's sake, you've labored and you have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Look at this. Because you left your first love. You left me. Jesus says, you're so busy doing for me that you lost sight of me. And he calls this whole church here. He says, remember from whence you are fallen, okay? Remember what happened in the early days. And do the first works, or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of this place, except you repent. You know what Jesus is saying here? Look at, you were so overwhelmed by being my child, and then you started to serve me, and then you got so overwhelmed with serving me that you forgot you were my child. And all of a sudden, what was a priority in your life was laboring for me and not just loving me. This is what's going on with Jacob's life, and, and God's trying to reel him back in. You can go back to uh, chapter 35 with me, and we'll get moving here. And Jacob said unto his household, now, now look what happened. Now all of a sudden, you know what's happening with Jacob? All of a sudden that voice is hitting him and he's hearing God's voice again. And you know what he, the first thing that God does in his life, the first thing that he does is he goes and he gets his home in order. He said, Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away thy strange gods that are among you. Be clean and change your garments. All of a sudden, when God gets a hold of your heart, you're going to see that manifest itself in your home. And we're seeing him really return to godly leadership in his home for his family's sake. He wants to bring his family in a new direction, bring them into submission to God's word. Because eventually, if, if home leadership is forsaken and mistakes are made, the family suffers. The next generation suffers. In the book of Joshua, chapter 7, there was a man by the name of Achan. He brought sin into his home. His compromise in his home was the death nail of his family. Eli had the same thing with his sons. They ended up in the ministry, but they were sons of the devil. Lot lost his in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Simply because of this. Dad wouldn't uphold the word of God in the home. Dad forfeited biblical leadership in the home. And he told him to get rid of the idols, the very things that had become a priority, and they were standing in the relationship of God in that home. Well, we think, oh, we don't have idols today, but we do have idols. 
An idol is what has devotion. We give all our time to it. We give all our money to it. And if we're honest with ourselves, it has a greater priority in our heart than Jesus Christ does. That's an idol. Overall, as a culture, we have the idol of Molech. It's an altar where babies are sacrificed called Planned Parenthood. We have the idol of Mammon at his altar. Character, marriages, and families. The God of money. We have the goddess Ashtaroth at her altar. Virginity and innocence is sacrificed. Wedding vows are broken. We have the god of Bacchus. At his altar, jobs, homes, and relationships are sacrificed. God of drunkenness. But there's other idols that sneak into our land. We might not be guilty of those. But there's the idol of self. There's the idol of pleasure. Unfortunately for Jacob, he didn't realize it at the time when Laban came looking, but his wife brought her father's idols into the home. So there was poison in the home. You know, if you're here today and you're looking for a new house, you know, one of the things they do is they bring an inspection into your home and they want to test everything. They want to make sure that the water isn't polluted. They want to make sure you don't have any lead paint in your home or anything like that that would cause any contamination or physical harm to you. How much more important is it to check out the spiritual climate of the home and to make sure there's nothing there that's going to bring any damage to the souls of our kids, our wives, our family? Verse 3 says this, and and let us arise. Look what he says here. Let us arise and we're going to go to Bethel. All right? You know why he's going to Bethel? Because God said go to Bethel. He learned a hard lesson the first time. But, but, but God told him to go, and he realized that he had to go. Now, remember, the inhabitants of the land, he was very fearful. His life was in danger because of what his sons did there in Shechem. The lives that he destroyed, all the things that they stole. And I'm going to make there an altar unto God. He's telling his family, you know what? We're getting rid of all this stuff. We're going to become worshipers in this home again. We're going to start cleaning things out. We're going to start giving to God who, who created us and who redeemed us the praise that he's worthy of. We're going to start living our lives for him. I'm going to make an altar unto God who, look at, he answered me in a day of distress. He met Christ in his crisis. And, and he was with me in a way that I went. Now, now we see this here. When we're in crisis, God is there for us. I don't know about you, but, but if you've been through crises, I've experienced God in my crises. I'm so thankful. That, that's what Jacob's telling us here. He met me in my distress when he was on a run from his brother. He thought he was going to die. And God was there for him in his crisis. But here's the question. When there is no crisis, are we there for God? Because this relationship's got to go two ways.
And look at verse 4. They knew dad was serious. And and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands. So the whole family had all these strange gods in their hand. And look, you know what we're seeing here? We're seeing true repentance because they're forsaking everything in their life that was ungodly. And you know what? They're probably getting the dad that they wanted from the beginning. They didn't want this wishy-washy trickster of a dad who, who was okay with compromise in the home. They needed a rock in their home. Someone that would tell them, what you're doing is wrong. Having this stuff's here, wrong. now God loves you and God will forgive you, but, but here's the bottom line. Because this has been going on, we've got to get right with God. And I love it because it was a total house cleaning. They gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings. Now the earrings wasn't just a regular earring, but it, they were these amulets. They were like images to false gods and everything, occultic, occultic things that, that, that they would wear that would represent some of the false gods that they worshipped. And look what it says here. It says in their ears, and Jacob hid them under an oak, which was by Shechem. He took all this. And he buried it all. At a tree. Buried it all at a tree. This is a picture for us. Of what's happened to our sinful compromise. Any of our uncleanness. Any of our idolatry. When you think of all that the Father has called out of our life, aren't you glad that there's a tree to bury it at the same way that Jacob did here? First Peter tells us this, who his own self, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, the cross. That we being dead to sins, we should live under righteousness by whose stripes that we are healed. And, and the influence and the example of this you know, I didn't even know this until I saw this this week, but it would affect the leader of Israel 100 years later when Je- Joshua, in the same exact place at Shechem where Jacob is at this point, before they head to Bethel, he calls the whole nation out of their idols. And they set up a memorial right there at Shechem. And actually the bones of Joseph were left here at this property that Jacob had bought a chapter earlier for 100 pieces of silver. And I think it was an example that Jacob set hundreds of years before that Joshua would follow just before he went to glory under his leadership for the nation. They came clean in the same place. You have no idea when you come clean the ripple effect that it will have for the good of those around you. The example that you're setting for those around you. So he buried him at a tree. Our sins have been buried at a tree, the tree Jesus died on. And they journeyed. Look at this, the family's following. They, all right? Not just him, they're going with him. They're finally listening to him again. Because you know why? He's starting to honor God, and God in turn's honoring him. All of a sudden, when you say, God, I want to do it your way, you know what God's going to do? He's going to empower you, and he's going to show you favor because you're choosing his way. And they journeyed, and the terror of the Lord was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. You know what you find in the will of God? You find divine protection. Divinely protected. 
There's no safer place for you to be on earth, safer than a bunker with a bunch of ARs around you, is the safest place is to be in the will of God. That's the safest place to be. That's where you experience divine protection. So they left him alone. They didn't pursue him. Why? Because God was looking out for him. God wouldn't let him. And Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He and all his people that were with him. Look, it's such a picture here that he could look back and he could see that everybody got to the destination of where God wanted him to be. And I don't know about you, but my final destination is heaven. And what I care about is looking back and seeing my family there with me. And I know part of what I need to own is being a godly leader in my home. In a verse, look at verse 7, and he says, He built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because there God had appeared on him when he fled from the face of of his brother. So it went from Bethel, the house of God, to El Bethel, to the God of the house of God. So all of a sudden things are dialing in a little bit more for him here. And we see that he names it El Bethel. God's taken him from glory to glory. It's not about the house of God, it's about the God of the house of God. And the question I think for you and I as we're sitting here as I'm thinking about this during worship today. Right now here at this moment, us, is what we're doing here. Is it about God? Is that why we're here? Because this can become something very friendly. It can become something very social. It can become something very mechanical. It can become something very ritual, but are we here at this moment to encounter him? We say, man, that church is awesome, man. It, 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 you know, people go to hip churches because man, they got this awesome coffee shop, man, and the worship team starts and the smoke machine rolls out and there's a great light show and, and you know, they got Xboxes in the Sunday school room and, and everything else, but, but, but it's not about the building. It's about the God. And that's where Jacob's getting to finally. It's not even the place. It's about experiencing this God that was faithful to his grandfather and his father and now to him. And I truly believe for us that it should be all about Jesus Christ, all about God the Father, all about the Holy Spirit, their word, their work, their presence, period. That's what church should be about. I think that's where Jacob's getting to. We need to remember this. Church doesn't have to be redefined. It has to be refound.
And I know that when you look at the Bible, we look at biblical church found in Acts 2. They were steadfastly in this, in fellowship, breaking a bed, prayers. They were all of one accord, and the Lord added to the church who should be saved. That's God's building program. How's he, how's he build his church? By saving souls one at a time through the truth of the gospel. It needs to be all about the God of the house of God. Verse 8 says, But Deborah, now this is his first experience of loss in this chapter, but Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bakuth, which literally means the oak of weeping. Now this is loss number one. Deborah it would have been Jacob's nanny, probably raised him with the help of his mother. But, but the thing about Deborah, she was a living piece and a connection to his mother because remember when he deceived Isaac and she said, look, go to my brother Laban just for a few days. That few days turned into decades. And that was the last encounter that she, he ever had with his mother. And he wouldn't see her again until he stepped into eternity where she was waiting for him. So everything that she knew about Jacob's mom, Rebecca, that he didn't know after they had departed. And then verse 10, and God said unto him, Your name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be any more Jacob. God reminds us in the scriptures so often of who we no longer are. He doesn't want a single person in Christ in here living underneath the condemnation of the past because the blood is sufficient to forgive it all. And God chooses to forget it all. He's removing association of failures from Jacob so he could Forget those things that are behind and to press on for the high calling. Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 3, and it was written by a man I believe probably wished he could change a lot of things in his past. Hunting and killing Christians before he met Christ on a Damascus road. And he was the one inspired by the Holy Spirit. Forget those things which are behind because he had to. And I believe that's what God's trying to do here with Jacob. He's erasing his old identity because in God all things become new. Jacob, everything that was associated with that name, deception, trickery, and he's going to give him a new name, a new identity. On the other side of this family crisis, Israel means a contender, soldier of God, triumphant with God, one who wrestles with God. You need to be reminded of this today or you need to know this today that your true identity your true identity is what and who God proclaims you to be. That's your true identity. I think there's an identity crisis in the church today where we think we are who we once were or we think we got to be who Hollywood says we are. No, we're who God proclaims us to be. That's our identity. That's where you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction. 
The Bible declares for us as a church that we're vessels of honor, tells us we're living epistles, tells us that we're people that are the pillar and the ground of the truth, that we're the purchased possession of God Almighty himself. We're told in Christ that we're loved, forgiven, chosen, adopted. We're new and we're blessed. That's who we are. Why would you want to be anything else? Because if we're in Christ, we're a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. And for you and I, we live, need to live with a constant daily disassociation with the old identity and that fallen heart that we would forsake that old, its attitudes, its, its appetites, and that we would live the new. And he says here that, and God appeared unto Jacob again when he was in Pandamaram, and he blessed him. When he came out of Pandamaram. Sometimes, look at the blessings of God are waiting for you when you're ready to come out of the place God doesn't want you to be anymore. He blessed him after he chose to come out of that. Sometimes we want to stay in a place we shouldn't be, doing things we shouldn't do, and beg God for his blessings. It don't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The bottom line is there's a sphere of blessings awaiting a believer's life who's willing to Forsake self-will and walk out God's will. God's will is God's word. And he had to come out of Pandamaram. I don't know what your Pandamaram is, but I'll tell you this right now. It's a place where God's already told you by the Spirit inside. Maybe other people have told you, he doesn't want you there anymore. And he blessed him. And God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Oop, I, I booted up there. I missed one. Uh, thy name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be thy name. You shall be called Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. That's the word El Shaddai. And it literally means I'm the mighty God. I'll nourish you. I'll provide for you. And I'll, be, I'll strengthen all and meet every one of your needs. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company and nation shall be in thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. Now you think about what, what took place from Jacob, the, the kings that came out of him. King David. King Solomon. King Jehoshaphat. King Josiah. Pretty good resume for the family, right? Oh, it gets better. The king of kings. The king of kings comes out of this dysfunctional family. <laughs> you know what that means? <laughs> There's hope for us. <laughs> and what I love about this is, is God's telling Jacob, I, I never gave up on you even in the times you gave up on you. The love of Jesus Christ towards us, it's everlasting, it's eternal, it's enduring, it's a persevering love. It says in John 13, when he went to wash the disciples' feet, when Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And the proof of that love, it's finished. The end of his earthly existence, till he rose again even though Peter denied him, even though they all forsook him. But the work of God continues in the people of God. I hope there's nobody in here that has thought for a moment that God has written you off because God has not written you off. 
He's reaching out to you the same way Jacob did. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're in the process of, God's calling you back to the place where you first experienced him. In those days when you heard what he said and you listened to what he said and you did what he said and you loved what he said. In a land which I gave unto Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it to thee and I seed after thee, will I give it unto thee? Because that land that they're all fighting over over in the Middle East right now, it belongs to God. And God went up from in that place where he talked unto him. And Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering thereon, and he poured, poured oil thereon. So, so the drink offering would later be instituted as a libation offering, and it was a symbol. It was a symbol of, of pouring out on a rock one's life over unto the Lord. And I think that's the big picture of what's going on in Jacob right here. I think he's really trying to pour out his life over to the Lord. And it's a symbolic picture here of the drink offering. Now, now he pours it on the rocks, right? Here's the thing. Jesus gave this teaching. He said, whosoever will fall upon that stone will be broken. But whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. The reference is him being the chief cornerstone. But here's the thing. If you think about it, if there's a rock avalanche... You want to be underneath that avalanche or you want to be laying on top of it? One brings death, the other one brings life. And Jesus is saying if we'll be broken of our sins and fall upon Christ, our cornerstone, in faith and to receive his forgiveness and salvation, but if we won't, Eventually, we will fall underneath his judgment. And he says it will grind him to powder. The difference is this. Whether you're on top of that stone or underneath that stone. It's a difference in Saul of Tarsus versus Paul the Apostle, who are the same person but experienced a change in life on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am now ready to be offered... That was the drink offering. His life was poured out. In the final act of that life, because it was offered over unto the Lord, was he would be martyred for the gospel. Nero would take his head off in a Roman jail. But he was ready. He said, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Because his life was poured out for the Lord. And Jacob called the name a place where God spake unto him Bethel, but verse 16 says, and they, they journeyed from Bethel. Now, now the thing that I got here, a little concerning to me, is that when God called him, he goes, I want you to go Bethel, Bethel in verse 1 and dwell there, which literally means I want you to remain or I want you to settle there. And he left where he was told to settle. So now he's leaving Bethel. And there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Fear not, you're going to have this son also. And this was a promise given to her after she had Joseph, that she would have another son. 
And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died. And remember what she said when she wanted children and couldn't have any children, her sisters having children, and she was jealous and everything? She, she told Jacob, give me children or I die. She called his name Benoni, and his father called his name Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. So the picture that I see here <clears throat> is that they left the house of God. And the fruit of leaving the house of God was death. Over the years, we've had a lot of people come through this ministry. And, and some have left and they've gotten plugged into other ministries where they can grow in the Lord and hear His word. And they left this house of God. But several have left this house of God because prior to that, they've already left the God of the house. And I'd hear later, hey, did you hear what happened so-and-so? No, what happened? It's some tragic news. And all of a sudden, maybe there's death in the marriage. Death in the lifestyle. All of a sudden, death comes. Why? Because they were told to dwell at Bethel. Dwell in the house of God, and, and they left. There's been such a huge emphasis since COVID of Hebrews chapter 10 that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, especially as we see the day approaching. You don't need me. We need each other. That's the way God designed it. Your gifts being exercised, my gift being exercised, us provoking one another to love and good work and to hang in there to keep the faith, to fight the good fight, to stay the course. Two names here. She names him Benoni, which is son of my sorrow. And right off the bat, dad changed his name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. And it's really a picture of Jesus. Because for the short time, he had the name a man of sorrows. He was here for a short time. Isaiah 53 says, man of sorrows. You know, we see with Lazarus, Jesus wept. We see in Luke's gospel, he comes to Jerusalem knowing what's going to happen. And he wept over it. We see when he went to cleanse the leper, he looked at him and he, he sighed up to heaven. But now, post-cross, post-empty tomb, post-ascension, Hebrews 1.3, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where he is today. He's our intercessor, ever living to make intercession for you and I. Even when Stephen was stoned, first martyr of the church, right? He, he could see into the heavenly southern the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Our King is not defeated. Our King is victorious and awaiting us. So 
So she died, and you know, you you read this real quick. Rachel died. You know, but you think this this was the love of Jacob's life. We had looked at that relationship earlier in the book of Genesis and it was a relationship of love. Remember, she, he served her father Laban seven years and they seemed like a few days for the love that he had for her. This is second loss in the story. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bildah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. And the sons of Jacob were twelve. Reuben makes a huge sinful choice here. And the thing is, he doesn't even realize because he can't see the chapters that lay ahead for him because of this decision that he made in this moment. That everything that God had planned for him was forfeited. It actually would slip down the line from Reuben, Levi, Simeon, and then all of a sudden, the next one in line, Judah, that's the one that the king of kings would come through. And it says the sons of Leah, Reuben's, Jacob, uh, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, sons of Bildah, Rachel's Hammond, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpha, Leah's handmaid, Gad, and Asher, these were the sons Jacob were born to him in Pandamaram. So we look at these guys and we look at all the mistakes that they made. And what was it that God saw in this family that he chose to use them? Well, it's the same thing that he saw in other people that he's choosing to use. <laughs> Nothing. For, or for uh, what God sees is how God sees. He told Israel that the Lord did not set his love upon them, nor choose them, because they were more than any of the other people, for they were the fewest. But he loved them and he chose them, because the Lord loved them. He loves us because he loves us. That's why. And Jacob came unto Isaac, his father, in Mamre, and to the city of Aram, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac journeyed. The days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So I can't imagine a surge of emotion. Just come off losing his nanny, connection to his mother, Rebecca. Then all of a sudden he loses the love of his life, and now his dad, who is a great man. But it says here he was gathered unto his people. It wasn't the end of the story. Death for the believer is not the end of the story. His people, the people of faith. When we look at this, I think about Isaac, just to close up here real quickly. He was the miracle child. His parents were well beyond the age of bearing children. Just miraculous that he was born. He was a man who was flawed, showed favoritism, a couple minor flaws in his life, but he was very Christ-like. Remember when he was taken up Mount Moriah? Dad, I see the wood and everything, but where's the lamb for sacrifice? And Abraham puts him on the altar. 
And you know what he did? No account of him wrestling with his father, running away or anything. He willingly climbed on that altar because he trusted his father. The regrets that maybe Jacob had. Man, I tricked my dad. Couldn't live in his home. Missed out on this relationship for decades. But he got to find some, or spend some final moments there with him. You think about what that conversation was, and he was there with his brother. God restored their relationship. Remember what Esau said, the minute he dies, you die. After he tricked him. But you see, God fixed all that because God's in the restoration. And Isaac gave up the ghost and he died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. You know, I look at this sometimes and I think, you know, I've done tons of funerals. The most powerful message at a funeral is the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. Because it's living and active. But right behind that is the life that that individual chose to live in harmony with it. It's important for us when we look at these things to get into our mind to live the message today that we want spoken at our funeral. The priorities and the perspectives that we live for. The treasures of heaven over the treasures of earth and most importantly, just loving Jesus Christ with all of our heart. You can stand. You know, we look at Jacob here and the question sometimes we need to ask ourselves, do we need to go back? Do we need to go back to where things once were, where I first encountered Christ? Maybe for us as men here, do, do we need our leadership revived? Does there need to be a renewal of godly commitment in the home? Does there need to be some lines that are drawn? Is there idols that need to leave? Is there things that just aren't clean that need to be cleansed? Is there change that needs to come? Is it worth obeying Jesus Christ to do it? Is there something about the old you that you need to disassociate yourself from because even though you see yourself that way, God no longer sees you that way anymore? Maybe a failure or an act just popped into your mind. That's not who you are. He separated his, our sins from us, our transgressions, as far as the east is from the west, the Psalms tells us. And are you leaving Bethel? In your mind, was it like dragging a Sherman tank to get here today because you just don't want to be in fellowship anymore? These are things as we close that we need to take a moment and ponder. And we need to bring before the feet of Jesus Christ who is the only one that can do anything about it. Because the worshipers of God are to be worship him in spirit and truth. And the greatest thing we can do with the, the worship offering of our life is to be transparent with the one who knows anyhow. 
So, Father, I, I thank you for the examples of the Scripture that in the warnings and the encouragements and the things that we can glean so much from, Lord. I thank you so much, Lord, that when we look at your word, we can see your heart. Thank you for the heart that you had for Jacob, a guy that had let you down, who, who was full of compromise, whose family was in mass dysfunction. But you didn't write him off, you reached out to him. Thank you, Lord, as we ponder our own life. Bring our hearts back to those early days when we first met you. When it was what you said that mattered so much to us. And because we were so overwhelmed with your love for us, we were willing to respond in devotion to anything you asked. I pray, God, that if there's a life in here today that's out of sync with your word, maybe right now it seems like things are okay or they're getting away with it, that they would hear that internal Holy Spirit GPS signal saying, there's a disaster ahead. Avoid it by rerouting. They would choose to allow you to reroute the course they're on so they don't have to go headlong into this disaster the way Jacob did. We thank you, Lord, so much for your love and your faithfulness to each one of us. Thank you for the new identity that we have in you, Jesus. Thank you we can forget what's behind and press on. And I ask your blessing over your people here today, the week that lies ahead, the ministry opportunities that you want to give each one of us as your light in that dark world, God. Glorify yourselves through our lives. Glorify yourselves through our homes. And wherever you call, Lord, may we be willing to follow. By your grace and empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer about anything, come on up. We'll pray. God bless you. Have a great day.